0: good morning friends good to be with you in your living rooms or kitchens or trains or commutes or wherever you are it's good to be as together as we can be right now it's even better to be together in god's word and together in his spirit and together in prayer as i pray oh god we do so love you and thank you for the gift of your word to us it's life it's food it's strength it's never returning to you empty it always accomplishes what you want it to we thank you for your gift of the spirit who's with us and in us who's leading us into all truth who's growing us in uh, the fruit of your presence in our lives god fill us up today i pray fill us with your word fill us with your spirit make us more like your glorious son king jesus Amen. The reading that you've just heard, uh, Matthew 21, 1 to 11, uh, is traditionally read next Sunday, on Palm Sunday. Uh, Some of you will have just realised, oh my goodness, Easter holiday's coming soon. That's right, it is. (laughs) Not long now. Hold on. We're starting our Easter series Uh, This Sunday, we're giving ourselves a little bit more time than we uh, sometimes would otherwise take uh, to explore a few more aspects of what our beautiful King Jesus is like and how different aspects of uh, his rule and reign as King uh, through this period of uh, entering Jerusalem and then the cross and resurrection, what those aspects of what he's like um, mean for us today and the hope that's available to the whole world through him. What hope is there available to us, to all people everywhere about the fact that Jesus is the king? Because that's what's going on here. Jesus is declaring himself to be the Messiah through the prophetic act of getting on a donkey. The people are hailing him as king by by referring to him as the son of David. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him king. They're calling on him to save. And not even necessarily in a spiritual sense. Hosanna, while uh, if you heard that uh, in, in a church meeting, uh, hallelujah is probably a more common outburst from me and other noisy people like me, but Hosanna would sometimes come out. Hosanna, oh, save now, please save. Here it's got the sense of save us now, save us now. It's It's not just the exuberant celebration that some Sunday school enactments of Palm Sunday might have the sense of it's got a political undertone it's got a save us now from those guys save us now from the dirty romans it's got some punch behind it here so this is about the kingship of jesus But what kind of king is he why do i say it's got that political undertone well it's because jesus in in deciding to ride on a donkey it's the one and only time in all the scriptures that we don't see him walk in walking places he's deliberately doing this at this time on this uh, in this place to enact this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9 to say to the daughter of Zion look your king is coming to you humble on a donkey on a colt, on a foal of the beast of burden that's messianic that's pr- uh, prophecy that is Uh, straight from Zechariah 9 and what often happens in the Gospels or in the New Testament when an Old Testament verse is quoted um, check a few more verses on from what's quoted because the the meaning of the full passage is often what the writer is meaning us to have so what's the verse after I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be free. F- His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. At Passover time, Jerusalem is full. It, full, full full. A city of 200,000 has a two million people in it. Uh, it's, it's anticipated. It's full and it's full of religious fervor. It's full of people who know their Bible, who know the prophecies of the Messiah. It's full of people who are coming up close and personal with the dirty Romans again though? So it's full of people who know the prophecies. And when they see Jesus, who just healed Bartimaeus and another blind guy in Jericho, he's just stayed at the house of, uh, in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who was dead, but is now alive. He's been teaching and doing miracles. This is the third year of his ministry. He's known, well known, especially among the Galileans, who will have come down in their hordes to Jerusalem for the festival, while it's also while it's full of that religious fervour, looking for that that religious Messiah, they it's also full of political tension because around about the similar time, there's another procession going on. Now whether it's the same day or not, it'd be nice to think that it is, but that's just a preacher's imagination. And um, it's around the same kind of time. You see, there's another person claims to be Lord, isn't there? There's another person, it's Caesar. Uh, Greek and Roman for Lord Caesar and Caesar's representative uh, to uh, Israel is Pontius Pilate uh, who spends most of his time in his palace on the sea in Caesarea Um, and I imagine it was a bit cooler out there and closer to the shipping lanes and more of the trappings of his uh, normal life Uh, but with that massive influx of people to Jerusalem the Roman delegate, is he's going to want to preserve the peace, isn't he? He's going to want to keep the peace. And so this massive procession will have come in uh, with uh, triumph, triumphal entry. There'll have been trumpets. There'll have been announcements. There'll have been horses. There'll have been many, many soldiers. In comes Caesar, the, uh, Caesar's representative. In comes the representative of someone who is called the Son of God. In he comes from the West. In he comes uh, from the seas, which represents the nations. In he comes to keep the peace through weapons of war. This is in the mind of people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's, it's, it's not just the Messiah who's going to uh, fulfil all, uh, all of prophecy. This is the Messiah who could right now do something about that procession over there. Why else do I say that? Well, I say it because the gate that this procession, Jesus's procession, the, the hundreds or thousands who are palm trees on the ground and cloaks on the ground, coming in with him through the gate they'll have come in from, coming down from Bethphage uh, into Jerusalem. As you came in through the gate and looked up, you'd see the palace of or the fortress of Antonia, where Pilate stays when he's in Jerusalem, where his barracks are for his roman soldiers they'll have been there they'll have been there they'll have come in through the gate they'll have looked up and they'll have seen save now save now it's got the sense of protest it's got the sense of uprising or even insurrection around it and and jesus turns left he he could have seized power if he kept going can you imagine the many many people with him if he had gone head on And kept going to that fortress, who knows what would have happened. But he didn't. He very deliberately got on that donkey uh, back in Bethphage, very deliberately rode it into Jerusalem. And he very deliberately turned left into the temple rather than straight onto the fortress. Later in um, Holy Week, later in the cycle of events that lead to the cross, Jesus is going to stand in that power, in that fortress. He is going to stand in front of Pilate and he is going to say these words to Pilate. He's going to say, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. He's, he's going to be quite clear. He is king. And later, that's going to be nailed over the cross, isn't it? King of the Jews in the language of all the <laughs> nations. But he doesn't confront Pilate then. He turns into the temple and In doing so, he shows us quite what kind of king he is. There's a slight break here, where um, uh, if you're following the Gospel in Mark, who's uh, narrating the same events, at at the point that he enters Jerusalem and turns left into the temple, um, he walks around and sees that there's not much going on because it's pretty late in the day, and so he turns around and he goes home. (laughs) What an anticlimax! It could have been a massive takeover of. Uh, the fortress but it turns out to be a bit of a sightseeing tour of the temple and he goes back to Mary, Martha and Lazarus's house. I think that's important. I'll come back to that. What he does the next morning is picked up uh, later in the passage. So I'm in verse 12 now. Matthew 21 verse 12. Jesus enters the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He's doing two really important things here. Really, really important things here that give me hope. I hope they give you hope too. The first thing that he's doing, the money changers and the people who sold pigeons, who are they and why are they in in here? Well, they're they're not there all the time, they're there particularly at festivals and at times of sacrifice because within the temple, uh, if you flip through your Old Testament at all, you'll have seen about the, the goat or the lamb that you sacrifice has to be pure and without blemish and without spot, the very, very best for God, right? Um, and so the idea would be that, well, you can't really bring your lambs with you. You need to buy a lamb from the temple that's been checked by the priests. Now, what price they charge for these lambs, who knows. But you also you couldn't use your own money. You couldn't use money from out there in the nations. You couldn't use money that had Caesar's face on it. You couldn't use money that had a graven image on it. And so they would change the money for you, like going on holiday. Um, uh, what exchange rate they used, we don't know most commentators would suggest that there was a bit of margin in there for the money changers and that that there was some exploitation going on. What about the pigeons? Well we know about the pigeons don't we? If if we remember Christmas, if we remember the sacrifice Mary and Joseph make uh, for their son Jesus, the sacrifice they were commanded to make uh, was uh, way back in the Old Testament would actually have been uh, a lamb. But they were poor, so they brought pigeons. Pigeons were the sacrifice of people who couldn't afford the lambs and goats and bulls cited in uh, all parts of the Old Testament. So there's people still selling these pigeons within the temple. And again, exploitation of the poor being a den of robbers. And Jesus kicks them out. It's a deliberate prophetic act. This isn't Jesus in a rage. This isn't him uh, going crazy. He, this is a prophetic act. This is an enactment of the prophecy uh, in Isaiah. This is him cleansing the temple to show uh, that um, God's house is to be a house of prayer. It uh, picks up in some other elements of uh, prophecies in Jeremiah too. The, but the big idea here, he, he sees the poor being oppressed and will not stand it. This king sees the poor being oppressed and will not stand it. He empties the temple of these people who were oppressing the poor. I'm so glad he did. The bit of the temple that these people were treating as a marketplace right now though, we called the court of the Gentiles or the court of the nations. And it's really interesting how this works here. My house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. You know what I said when when somebody quotes something from the Old Testament in the New, often it's the full meaning that they're they're intending. And the full sentence from Isaiah 56 verse 7 is, My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you make it a den of robbers. Within the court of the Gentiles, there isn't space for the Gentiles to get in. It was always the intention that part of the temple should be accessible to to people who aren't Jews. It was always the intention that God's people would be a place that all nations could come to and see what God is like. It was always the intention. But something about the machinations and the marketplace of a festival time, of feast and sacrifice time, was pushing out the Gentiles and the court of the women too. Now... Jesus, the King of the Jews, coming in and not only cleansing it from those who were oppressing the poor, but making the space for Gentiles. Do you see? The crowd were expecting this King of the Jews to come and boot the Gentiles out. The King of the Jews comes in and makes space for the Gentiles to come in. And then verse 17, leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged with his friends. Why is this all giving me hope? Why is this all giving me hope about what kind of king King Jesus is? This king doesn't rule in fear, like Pilate would have. Or out of fear of what might happen, but in loving sacrifice. In faithful service. That gives me hope that my king isn't going to use fear as a weapon against me or isn't going to act towards me out of fear himself he's so so full of love there is no room in him for fear he has no fear and he doesn't use it as a weapon against me but in loving sacrifice that gives hope this king With all the riches of heaven, he prioritises the poor. He cleanses the temple of those who oppress the poor. And every night he's going back to lodge with his friends who live in Bethany, the house of the poor. All the riches of heaven behind him and he prioritises the poor. That gives hope. That this king isn't distant from us, different than us, other than us, in such a way that he can't relate to us, that he doesn't prioritise our needs. This king doesn't come to boot the Gentiles out, but to make space for all the nations to come in. This is a king who includes those who are on the outside, those who are outcasts, those who are different, those who are other. He is holy. He is wholly other. But he draw the mark of his holiness as king is he draws others in. He makes space for us in his kingdom, in his family. That gives hope. And this king, this king who should be served for with all of our lives and all of our resources, he, he refuses to have servants, you know. No longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. During all of this going on, all of this high drama and political intrigue, he's spending each night with some of his closest friends. He doesn't rule in fear, but loving sacrifice. Though he's rich, he prioritises the poor. He brings those who are on the outside in and he doesn't have servants. He has friends. King Jesus. You are our King. We'd willingly serve you with everything we have, because everything we have, you gave us. But King Jesus, we hear your voice to us, telling us that you no longer call us servants, but you call us friends. You bring the poor in and prioritise them. You bring the outcast and outsider in and include them. And in loving sacrifice, you call us your friends. We do so love you, King Jesus. Amen.